Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome into a special edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. In this, our 17th episode, writer Seth Carter comes in to pinch hit for our regular crew as he has an exclusive interview to share with y'all. Seth, you have the mic. Take it away from here. Welcome to the Tomahawk Take Podcast. This week, we have a special guest with some unique insight for Atlanta Braves fans. If you live outside of Georgia, you may know him as one of the voices of professional wrestling when its popularity was at an all-time high. He was the host and lead announcer for WCW Monday Night Nitro on TNT and WCW Thunder on TBS. Currently, you can find him on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern on TNT as an announcer and senior producer for AEW Dynamite. Outside of the professional wrestling credentials, he was a sports writer and a baseball analyst for 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. If you're a fan of Georgia sports, then you have watched or listened to a show that he either produced or hosted. He's worked with the Georgia Bulldogs, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Atlanta Braves, just to name a few. Among other duties with the Braves, he was the voice of the Gwinnett Braves since their inception in 2009. He is the man that called Ronald Acuna's very first AAA home run. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Schiavone. Hey, Tony. Seth. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I'm doing great today with some rumblings that they're trying to put a season back together. So, um, yeah, yeah everything's good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I'm very fortunate <laughs> that... Uh, well, I hate to say it this way, but I'm very fortunate that I, I decided not to have another year in baseball and go into AEW because <laughs> where would I be without AEW right now on a professional level? And uh, it was a it was a tough decision to leave the Gwinnett Braves slash Stripers, but it was a good decision at the right time. And uh, it's good to be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You have an incredible resume. Um, I didn't even hit on everything. You've lived a, a sports broadcaster's dream, have you not? Well, yeah, I think so. I, I think one of the reasons I, li- I, uh, I lived a sports broadcaster's dream is that I got started early. I was doing uh, I was doing broadcasting, and I think this is a uh, this is what it's hard to when, when people ask me what do you suggest or, or what do you think uh, would be a, a good way to start your career, and I always say start early. I was very fortunate that I worked in radio while I was in college. And I don't mean that I worked at the college radio station for credits. I, I mean, I, I had a paying job. It was a part-time job, and I got paid for it at a radio station uh, in Virginia while I was in college. And this was while I was a sophomore in college. And so I, I started very early. And then I, I, after I graduated from college way back when, 1980. And that's before really the, the, that's before everybody wanted to be an announcer. And I, I'd say everybody wanted to be announcers. That's probably incorrect, but that's before the market was flooded with people wanting to be announcers. Let's put it that way. It became everybody realizes, oh, I can do this. And so back then, it, it was not like that. So I started at a good, at a great time. I've done a lot of work, and I, I look back on my resume. And you were just 
going through my resume right there. I uh, I'm, I, th- I feel I'm very fortunate, but I, but I feel I've gotten there because of hard work and determination. Really, and this I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, but no one outworks me. No one does, and no one ever has. And uh, I'll give you a perfect example. This is a long answer, I know. When I first started, when I had a paying job and was a sophomore in college, the radio station and I was doing uh, some DJ work, fill-in DJ work and some nighttime DJ work. At the radio station, they, they fired their janitor. And the boss sent out a, a memo to everybody saying, listen, until we get a new janitor, please clean up. Help us clean up. So I cleaned up the station and I'd empty the trash, wipe down everything. And I was the only person that did that. And I remember other people in the radio station said, I'm not doing that. Because if we keep doing that, he'll never hire a janitor and he'll make us do it full time. So the boss brought me in. And he said, listen, that's the kind of work ethic that you need in this business to be able to go far. And I always remember that. I always remember that I would be the person willing to do anything it takes to move ahead, with the exception of, you know, shooting somebody in the back of the head. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I remember that. And, and I really think that when it comes down to outworking somebody, I don't think anybody outworks me. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been able to have such a great career. Wow. So aspiring journalists at home taking notes, work hard and don't shoot people in the back of the head. And, and empty the trash of the ball says go. So, right. you know, you, it's not beneath you. And that's one thing that I've always thought that it's not beneath you to do manual labor. If you're an announcer, it's, it shouldn't be at least. I was reading your blog and you called, uh, you said calling baseball, uh, and it's a blog from when you were with Gwinnett. Um, you said calling baseball was a dream and you yeah. applied out of college a- after college, you applied to several jobs and you got a response from Greensboro, North Carolina. Right. Yeah. And you went to pursue your dream. Somehow this leads to you becoming one of the voices of professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me about that? Yeah. There are a couple of crossroads have come in my career. Uh, and I think looking back on the crossroads in my career, I wonder where I would have gone had I taken the other road. One of the crossroads in my career was graduated from uh, James Madison, was working at the radio station, and the, the James Madison's football broadcaster, and I can't remember his name at that time, decided he was going to, to leave. So they had an opening for a football broadcaster and a color guy for basketball. I hadn't been doing high school football as well, so I applied, and I got the job. Still got the, still got the uh, letter from James Madison to be their football play-by-play guy. But I wanted to do baseball. And at the same time, I applied many places and Greensboro answered my call and they wanted to talk to me. And I remember uh, I was working at the radio station uh, and I had a morning shift. And I was uh, this was like I drove down to Greensboro that day and uh, they they offered me the job. And it was, do you take the job of James Madison and stay home and work for the radio station and then do the James Madison on the side? Or do you follow your dream? And I decided to go to Greensboro. And that, of course, was where I met my wife, and that's how life is now. One year at Greensboro, uh, South Atlantic League, they were the Yankees' single-A team back then. One year at Greensboro, 1981, long enough to get married. And then I got, a, I got to know Bob Jamison, who at that time was the voice of the Nashville Sounds, and they were double-A. And Bob uh, told me, and there's so many intricate stories that, that I can't get in all of them, but how I met Bob, it's a long story. But Bob said... The Charlotte job's open. Jay Colley is going to Rochester. Uh, Baltimore was, uh, Charlotte was the Baltimore's double-A team at that time. Jay Colley's going to go to Rochester, triple-A, be the Red Wings play-by-play guy. You want to apply for that. He said, I think it'll be a good move in your career. I applied for it. 
And I knew that Francis Crockett ran the, the, uh, the team. I, I was a wrestling fan growing up of Jim Crockett Promotions, living in Virginia, and they promoted the Carolinas of Virginia. So I, I knew that they were all together. So I went down and interviewed for, with Francis after a year in, in Greensboro. She hired me on the spot. This was at the end of the 81 season. So 82, Lois and I uh, and one kid moved to uh, Charlotte, and I started to work for the, uh, the Charlotte team, the double A team. I, knowing that they were in wrestling, I always would tell Francis, you know, Francis, if you and your brothers need a wrestling announcer, I, I can do it. Now, I, l- let me tell you about this, Seth. I, I didn't want to leave baseball. I didn't have any plans to go into wrestling full time when I, when I asked her to do this. But as most people know, when you're in minor league baseball, you don't make much money. As a matter of fact, you don't make any money. So I, my wife and I, and one, one child, we were, we were looking to make ends meet. And I was just looking to make extra money. And so they finally, at the, in 83, a year later, decided that they would uh, use me in wrestling. Wrestling part-time, paid much more than baseball full-time. And at the end of the 85 season, Jim Crockett said, if you want to come work for us full-time, uh, you can come work for us full-time. And uh, that also, you know, in 85 is when we started TBS uh, on the Superstation. And I was getting paid money for doing that. So I made that decision. Once again, another crossroads in my life. Uh, make a decision, stay in baseball or go into wrestling full-time and went into wrestling full-time. So that's, how, that's how it started. It, you know, it started in baseball and baseball got me into wrestling. And uh, that's how the wrestling uh, career started. It's just crazy to think part-time announcing wrestling mm-hmm. pays more than full-time mm-hmm. minor league baseball. Yeah, I, 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 just, I was telling somebody the story the other day. Uh, Lois and I rented this house in Charlotte, and it was we could not afford we could not afford to come up with the the deposit to have gas heat in the house. So we had these space heaters in the house, and I, I went to see uh, I went to, because I was working with the baseball team. I went to see I've been doing a little work for wrestling at that time. Went to see wrestling at the Charlotte Coliseum one night on a Sunday night. And uh, David Crocker got me a ticket. I was sitting up in the stands. And before the event started, I saw David walk out and he looked up towards me. He was looking for me. So I ran down. I said, are you looking for me? He said, yeah, our ring announcer's not here. Could you do the ring announcing tonight? And I said, yes. So dressed like I was, I asked him if it was okay to be just casually dressed. He said, fine. Dressed as I was, I went down and did the ring announcing. And when it was over, Seth, he gave me a $100 bill. And I went home and showed Lois that $100 bill. And we were so excited. And I remember thinking at that time, if I can just go to a, a show and make $100 every time I go to a show, we're going to be okay. So uh, that that showed me that wrestling was going to make me a lot more money than baseball would. That's a sign of a successful successful promotion, too, uh, because uh, I'm, I'm originally from Evansville, and we used to go to shows at the Coliseum there. And right. I remember hearing guys getting paid like 10 bucks or 20 bucks to wrestle. So that's right. <laughs> right. How did you end up with the Atlanta Braves after being you were you're on one of the was no was Nitro the number one show on all of cable television or was it just wrestling? It was I don't know the I I think it was the number one uh, show on all of cable TV at one time. So it was a big uh, deal. It was Tony a big, Schiavone, big yeah. deal. Well, Ray yeah. Rumble. I mean, big deal. Yeah, it was all and a big deal. And just uh, so you, just so you know, I love Ray Rumble. Okay, I'm not I'm not making fun of you. In fact, yeah. I paid more for it used recently than I did originally when it was brand new. So, you know, let, so, I want to say something about SAG and AFTRA. 
Okay. When, when you do a movie, you have to, you have to, you have to uh, become a member of SAG. And here's how great they, they, they treat their people. I, I'm not necessarily a union guy, but this is how great they treat their people. If Ready to Rumble is put on HBO or it's put on some streaming service, I will still get a check. My last check was for $19. I got it in January. Wow. Now, uh, $19 right now is, is change, but it, to me, it means that if I'm getting $19, what's David Arquette getting, right? Right. Or uh, if you made a career and right. maybe you didn't make it as an A-lister, you're, right. you know, those guys are probably getting taken care of. That's Yeah. Every movie you do, when it appears, I mean, they, they, they do a great job. So, all right. So uh, how did I get with the Braves? That's another great story. WCW was sold to Vince McMahon. During the end of 2000, uh, we all knew it was coming. We didn't know where it was going to go, but we all knew the end was coming. And uh, I applied for jobs everywhere. And I got, a, I got a call in probably February from WSB Radio in Atlanta and said, we do have something that might interest you. You want to come talk to us? And I said, yes. So I scheduled a meeting, oddly enough, the same day that we closed the office. So we closed the office, whatever day that was, it was on like a Monday, it was on like a Tuesday, I think. We had a nitro, maybe it was on a Wednesday, can't remember. Went and they closed the office and I was had a tie on. Everybody says, why you got a tie on when we're getting thrown out of the office? And I had an interview with WSB that day. So I went to WSB radio that afternoon. It was We went to the office at 10 a.m., got thrown out. It's kind of a, a terrible way to say it, but we got, we're closed down. Got my severance package, which was tremendous. Went to WSB and got hired that day. And I got hired as part of their sports staff. And Pete Spriggs, who was the program director, God bless him, he, he's, he's now retired from there. He hired me based on a wrestling videotape that I had, because that's all I had. So now I'm working with the, for, the, uh, for WSB, and they have the Atlanta Braves contract, which means I get to work for the Braves radio network, and I get to do the post-game show and the pregame show on the Braves Network, along with another guy named Steve Getty and Dave Douglas, Mark Aram worked on it, Kevin Dankowski, we all worked on it. And we also did Braves Talk afterwards. So now I got to uh, I got to do the Braves. I got to do the home games, road games. We stayed, we stayed at, at home while they were on the road. We didn't travel with the team. Got to know Skip, got to know Pete, got to know Don and Joe, you know, the the iconic uh, broadcast uh, uh, four and um, mm-hmm. one of the big, one of the highlights really to this day of my life is hearing Skip Carey says, we're going to send it back to Tony Schiavone, the Braves Network Studios. Having Skip Carey say my name was like a big freaking deal for me, you know? So I got to work for them. They also had the Georgia Bulldogs radio network. Uh, and I did some work for them. And, and once again, can you do some work for the network, but we can't pay you? Well, that's fine with me. You know, I'm, I'm making a living now. Just let me do something. So basically what I did with the Georgia Bulldog Network was do the scoreboard for Larry Munson. I would collect all the scores, sit in the back, you know, look at the laptop and write down the scores and give them to Larry Munson. And that's so how whatever, whatever that? you had to do, you would yes. do whatever you had to do. Yes. And I'm See, still like, I'm still like that. See, yeah. I, and that's, uh, I originally went to college for radio and television, broadcast journalism. I wanted to do what you do. Right. And the professors talked a lot of us out of it because they told us the grim realities of, of, of the pay and what you're getting into. And right. I actually just left and went into insurance sales back yeah. then. That's a long time ago, but yeah, but that's, and then, well, and then you, go ahead. 
here are the here's an old cliche, but here are your professors. Okay, your professors, are the guys that didn't make it. So what do they know? That's, they kept saying, uh, right. going to sales, going to sales. And I was like, yeah. well, I don't need to go to college going to sales. And- yeah, right. No, no, no one wants to go into sales. Believe you me. I, I, I sold fence signs, program ads, and season tickets for the uh, Charlotte team for many years while I was doing the broadcast because you had to do everything. It's not a good business. So I would never do it. So then I, I did, some, uh, did some work for the Braves. And the Braves in 2004, uh, WSB lost the contract for the Braves. And uh, I still, uh, I got to know uh, Mark Fredrickson, who was at that time the lead official scorer for the Atlanta Braves. And Mark said, listen, you've done all these minor league games. Maybe we can get you approved as a, an official scorer for the Braves. Only thing we need is someone part-time. So Jim Schultz was a PR man at that time, and we went. We we sent a letter to uh, uh, Phyllis Marriage of Major League Baseball, and they approved me to be a part-time official scorer. So I got to score for the Atlanta Braves for five, six, seven, eight, and about four years part-time, which means I maybe I, d- I did maybe twenty games a year, twenty of the home games a year, and uh, had some very interesting stories there, scoring a game when John Smoltz is pitching, or when Greg Maddox is pitching. When you make a call, they don't like. So, but anyway, I, so I, you hear that brought up a lot with the announcers uh, right. during the broadcast. And sometimes you go back and change those. Do you listen to the broadcast when you're scoring a game? No, no. Uh, you don't, you don't let that, because that would influence you, wouldn't it? No, as a matter of fact, uh, there was only one place that I remember. And, and, and I did do some Braves games on the road uh, later after we lost, after we lost the Braves. We still covered the Braves with WSB. And we still had, we would have the uh, Tim Hudson report and I would do those. And so uh, sometimes I would follow the team on the road. I found out that one place, which was the old Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, did the official score correctly. And that was, he would I, they would isolate the official score. The official score needed to be in a place where no one was talking to him to influence. No writer would say, oh, that's a, that should have been an error. Or that should have been a hit. And you need to isolate your official score. Now, I think... I think it may have changed a little bit now. I think because of technology, that the official score is second-guessed by somebody. I think there's somebody in New York's office watching every game. Uh, it seems like it happens a lot now, too, yeah. where the announcers will go, well, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. Hey, yeah. he must have heard you. They changed it. So Yeah. Now, you know, normally, as an official score, Skip Carey w- was notorious, right? But Skip, Skip and I got to, had a great relationship, and he would always – he would he would never slay me like he would slay Mark Fredrickson. Well, there was one time a ball went right through Greg Maddox's leg, and and I knew uh, I I made the wrong call, but I stuck with it. And I knew Skip was going to say something. He came around the corner there. He went, Tony, you sure about that call? I said, Yes, sir, I am. He's okay, and he walked back. That's all he said. Uh, so uh, that was that was pretty cool. That was uh, that was great work and I got to got to meet a lot of people got to meet a lot of coaches got to know Bobby Cox really really well went down to spring training every year so it was pretty cool so now I read that the uh the Richmond Braves are going to move from Richmond to Gwinnett County so being the uh the type of guy that loves to do work and I knew Bruce Baldwin who was a general manager of the Richmond Braves because he was general manager of the Greenville Braves when I was in the Southern League and he had been with the Braves for a long time. So I called Bruce, knew, I, I knew his number. And I said, and I was coming, it was a Sunday afternoon game. I was coming back from, uh, from Turner Field. And I said, Bruce, it's Tony Shabani. I want to talk to you. Uh, I think, and he called me back. 
And I said, I got an idea. And he said, what's that? I said, when you guys come to Gwinnett, let me be the official score. I've done all these major league games for like four or five years. I can be your official score. And he said, I got a better idea. Why don't you be my radio broadcaster? And that's how I got the job. You didn't even apply for it or no. attempt to get it. They just, right. they as they it. should, they should right. offer They offered it to, it to me. So I had to go to WSB and I said, listen, uh, they want me to be the radio broadcaster and it's probably going to be on a station in this market somewhere. I need your permission to do it. And Pete Spriggs, God bless him again. He said, absolutely, you can do it. Working boat. So we got wow. on WDUN out of Gainesville. And, and here's another thing. I was doing part-time work for WDUN in Gainesville doing their high school football and basketball. So I've been working WDUN. They wanted to be on WDUN. I brought both sides together, kind of, was in the meetings. They signed a five-year deal with WDUN for me to be their broadcaster. And um, so uh, the WDUN deal uh, started with the Braves five years. And then that uh, fell apart. We were on the internet for like one season. And then Cox Radio, WSB, uh, had a couple of uh, little FM stations or transponders in Gwinnett County which were perfect covering Gwinnett County, really. And I worked out, I helped work uh, broker a deal between the, the Braves and uh, WSB to broadcast those games there. North Johnson came aboard. Alex English followed him, uh, or Adam English followed him. And uh, I got to know all these guys. So, uh, and I stayed with the Gwinnett Braves, then the Stripers until AEW came calling. And I decided, you know, I, I couldn't, they they were the Braves are going to let me every Wednesday go do AEW, but I needed to as a senior producer I needed to spend more time with AEW, and I I could do that during the home games. The road games would be something a little bit a little bit trickier. So yeah. I gave it uh, up. So where did you did you play like in high school or where did you get your love for baseball then? Because you, you I, called I played, it your dreams. So. I played in high school. I I was uh, a very small high school in the mountains of Virginia. We had a Valley League baseball team. The Valley League is a now a college league, summertime college league. And, and back then, we had a team in my hometown called the Craigsville Cardinals. Now, we're talking the 60s to late 60s. I was a very, very little kid, small kid. And I think the Craigsville Cardinals went all the way into the 70s. And the reason I know that is because I remember the 1971 All-Star Game when Reggie Jackson, I was a big fan of Reggie's, hit, a, hit the home run off the light tower at Tiger Stadium in that all-star game. And I remember watching that and then running up to see the Craigsville Cardinals play that night. So I became a big fan of, of baseball and I played on the Babe Ruth team. And then I played high school baseball. And then I coached baseball, coached youth. I was, uh, I, while I was working for the radio station and while I was going to college, I also coached a Babe Ruth 13 year old baseball team. Uh, so I, baseball was, was my number one love. And so I was, it was like, Stratomatic baseball was what I played in, uh, when, uh, when, when I couldn't get outside and play baseball, and uh, baseball was my whole life, and so that's why I, I was really into it. That's awesome. Uh, makes me like you even more, though, to know Thanks. all that. <laughs> Thank you. So, so as you mentioned, due to the commitment to AEW, you resigned from the Braves. So this will be their first, the Gwinnett's, this will be their first season without Tony Schiavone. You've seen a lot of great players come through the system in your time there. Mm -hmm. Austin Riley, Johan yeah. Camargo, these guys, do you think 
you know, one of them or both of them will blossom into uh, an everyday third baseman or, you know, any insight like that, anything, any note you've got in the back of your mind where you're like, this guy, watch out for that guy. Well, the note I got in the back of my mind was about Austin Riley. And that, that is Austin is, uh, first of all, a great kid and works pretty hard. And obviously, uh, when he was called up, he was a sensation. But as the old, uh, the old adage goes, and it was right, once they learned how to pitch to him, it quickly changed. He strikes out a lot, and that yeah. concerns me. But a lot of people strike out a lot. I, he's a very good third baseman, not a sensational third baseman, but a very good third baseman. Uh, you know, they put him in the outfield last year. Of course, Josh Donaldson was there, and I understand that. But it, I'm not so sure that he is a third baseman of the future with, with, this, with this team. That's just my take on it, and I just—it's only because he's got that real long swing, strikes out. But I also saw him, you know, drive in seven runs in one ball game with a grand slam and a couple of doubles and everything. So I've seen him hot. I've seen him. I've seen him not so hot. But again, what concerns me more than anything else is not what I saw with my own eyes, but what I what I found out to be true was once the major league pitchers knew how to pitch Austin Riley, then it was a, it was a, lot a disaster. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so uh, Johan Camargo, uh, I know he is, he's made uh, plenty of errors uh, that, have, that ended up costing the Braves, but he had a, some sort of flair for the dramatic with, when in AAA. When we needed a big hit, he always seemed to come through. I, just, I really think that uh, he's going to be fine. Now, below that, to be honest with you, I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure what, the, what the Braves have below that, but Camargo and uh, – and Austin Raleigh, I've seen enough of them to know that I think Camargo has a better upside as far as hitting is concerned. Austin Raleigh is probably a better, better defender. Interesting. So Tony Schiavone, because a lot of people think the ceiling on, on Riley, I guess because of the power, is, is higher than Camargo's. So that's an interesting take that you know, Camargo well, has a higher ceiling. You know what? Uh, I only say that because he's probably a switch hitter. But we'll see. You know, I mean, hell, I've been wrong. People have oh, been yeah. wrong. You know, <laughs> I mean, so I, I I hate to say that about Austin because I like him so much and he's a good kid. But man, I remember. You know, I did some uh, did some games with Nick Green. Nick Green was my color guy, and I'm the one. By the way, if you see Nick now on Braves TV, uh, which you do, I'm the one that got Nick. I'm the one that got Nick Green into the broadcasting business. So he's my he's my student. That little sawed off runt. So you're brokering uh, deals, you're getting people yes, exactly. into their careers and moving them forward. Because he came basically and did almost a season with me, but the Braves didn't pay him anything. And he just did it because he wanted the experience. He got it, and now he's on Braves TV. And, and, I, and I think I helped him out with his camera work a little bit because he used to just talk to Jerome. He turned and talked to Jerome and would stare at Jerome. And I said, you're not talking to Jerome, you're talking to the people at home. So look into the camera. And he does a lot more of that now. So anyway, he and I talked about Austin Riley. And I remember when Austin uh, was first called up and he hit all those home runs, I, I talked to Nick and I said, are you surprised at this? And he said, yeah, I'm shocked because we didn't think he would be that hot at the beginning. And then, of course, you know, as we talked about, he, he cooled off a little bit. So, Yeah, well, and he was striking out. It's not like 35% of the time, too, even while he was, I believe it was up there like that, while he was crushing all those homers. But Yes, absolutely. Um, I know we're running a little, a little short on time here. Sure. Um, so, but I wanted to, uh, we'll just wrap this up with, uh, what was it about AEW? Where did, I guess, where is wrestling and compared to your love to baseball? How do, how do you love 
wrestling now and how is it different to call wrestling television show okay. versus calling the action on the field for baseball? Yeah, well, I got an AEW because of Tony Khan, because I got to meet with him and I realized that at my age and my career, uh, this is probably going to be my last big stop. And I want to work for a person I trust and I want to work for a company that's a very good company. And that's what I've done. Uh, that's why I got into AEW. Now, I was, I was also a wrestling fan growing up, too. So I knew wrestling. Like I said, I knew the Crockett's. So it's not that I didn't love wrestling. It's just, let's say that wrestling was, as far as sports are concerned, my second love next to baseball. But I, I liked wrestling better than football, basketball, all that stuff. Um, because I like the drama. I, I think what what what's the difference between baseball and wrestling is that Baseball was really laid back. You know, when I was a baseball announcer, with the exception of the game, the home games I would do with Nick Green, it would just be me talking the, the entire time, a three-hour monologue, basically, with the exception of commercial breaks. And you were just you were just laid back. You weren't trying, you weren't trying to help generate excitement. I think that's what I try to do. Uh, although I do think my, my excitement in wrestling is genuine because I genuinely like seeing what these kids do. Uh, baseball is more like describing the action and just being a little bit more laid back, more conversational, like we're doing right now. I mean, I'm I'm not talking to you, and what my wife says is my wrestling voice, uh, but uh, I uh, it's more conversational, and there's a lot more moving parts, and there's a lot more pressure. Man, there's people talking in your ear. There, you got to you know, TV is. Uh, you know, you got to make sure you hit this point. We're going to a commercial break. Don't forget, here comes a fly-in. Don't forget to mention Shop AEW and promote the T-shirts and promote JR's book. Baseball, it was just me plugging it in, going. And I, the only feedback I ever heard from the Braves was, yeah, you're doing great. That's it. And I also, I also felt lucky because I remember I would look at Twitter and Jim Powell, who I, I just absolutely love. I think Jim Powell is one of the one of the better, I think the Braves are fortunate they got one of the better play-by-play guys. He is so smooth and so easy to listen to. So Jim Powell and I are friends, and I would look on Twitter sometimes, and I would see that uh, fans would critique Jim Powell. And as they do, Twitter, you know, there's a bunch of trolls. They would say something about Jim Powell's call, and I'm thinking, I am so glad that nobody listens to the Gwinnett Braves because they would probably slaughter me. So I was under the radar. I was doing baseball. And the Braves loved whatever I was doing, so it was it was a great situation, and one that I'll you know I'll always remember. Plus, I've really uh, got some really really good friends now. Freddie Freeman's a good friend. Uh, Brian Snitker's a good friend. Uh, Marty Reed, their bullpen coach, is a good friend. And I built some and Jim Powell, and I built some pretty good relationships by being with the Braves all those years. That's that's great. That's awesome. Freddie Freeman's your friend. That's nice. oh yeah, Freddie. <laughs> Freddie in twenty ten, buddy. Freddie, you ever get a uh, Freddie hug? Did you ever? I, Freddie and I hug all the time. Absolutely, <laughs> do. right. Uh, uh, one time, one time he came to Charlotte on a rehab assignment, and he, this is 2010. Uh, 2010, he was with us the entire season, and then he came to Charlotte on a rehab assignment a few years later. And I walked out on the field to talk to him, and there were a bunch of uh, autograph seekers over in the corner, and I and I was talking to him. He said, "Keep talking to me right now." He said, "Because I want to assign autographs, but I want to wait till everybody gets there." So I just, we just wasted time. We kept talking and talking and talking. And finally, everybody got down there, went over and he signed the autographs. Uh, so yeah, Freddie, uh, Freddie and I are, are good buddies. And uh, 
I say good buddies, we don't stay in contact that much. Snitker and I talk a lot. Marty Reed and I text back and forth a lot. And uh, I'm so very, very happy to have, have known these guys. And, you know, I love Snitker. And uh, one of the great guys in baseball, like the Braves are lucky they got him. You know, we were watching AEW uh, Dynamite on TNT at 8 p.m. while we were working in the house here with the kids. And something that we noticed uh, to you and the whole crew there is that with this pandemic and the empty arenas and everything going on, it still just comes off as a wrestling show. There's nothing weird about it. It It's still just great wrestling. Sure. And I think that's probably a testament to all the hard work you guys are doing on the presentation. Yeah, it's a team um, effort. I can tell you that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks great and it feels like wrestling. And that's not something you expect or necessarily get everywhere right now. Right. Um, The second thing, I have a visually impaired friend. We met when our kids were playing baseball. And uh, we actually bonded over pro wrestling. So we would get together for the occasional uh, pay-per-view or, or watch a show. And I would constantly feel the need to explain a lot of the action going on to him and the other guys that couldn't see the TV. They relied on the announcers. Right. And so he was pretty excited. I told him I was going to be talking to you. And I told him I'd read this. He said, as someone who has literally had to depend on others', others descriptions to fully enjoy many things, I'm sincerely grateful and appreciative of his art form and talent. Thank you. And it's awesome that he's with AEW. Sorry, I don't know shit about his Braves career. <laughs> well, that's that's great. Uh, you know, when I when I hear stories like that and hear people say that, you know, the podcast that we do uh, and the work that we do brings a smile to people's faces, that makes it worth it. it. It really does. And just a little side note, when I was growing up uh, across the street, uh, a friend of mine, Ricky Ellinger, was he was blind, blind since birth, and he and I listened to baseball on the radio a lot. And we listened to WSB, we could pick it up. We listened to 3WE out of Cleveland, listened to the Indians broadcast. We listened to WLW out of Cincinnati. Uh, so we listened to a lot of baseball and that's how, that's one of the reasons I fell in love with the game as well. So I appreciate yeah. those words. I really do. And, and since your name, your name dropping all over, his name is Don Green. Huge Don fan. Green? That, that, yeah. So AEW. Mm-hmm. Okay. I always tell people that wrestling is the best entertainment on television. It's all yeah. the drama of whatever garbage anybody's watching, except yes. the actors are doing their own stunts. Right. Uh, wrestling's the best entertainment. AEW is the best wrestling. Those right. of you that don't know about it, AEW uses a unique ranking system. They have wins and losses that actually matter. Uh, everything about the show is great, and you pull out all the stops for your pay per views. So make sure you check out the next one, Double or Nothing, on May right. 23rd. Ton of great matches. American Nightmare, Cody versus the man you're likely to see in a nightmare, Lance Archer, to crown the first ever TNT champion. Can Cody pull that one out, Tony? Uh, I think he can because he's really athletic. Uh, Lance Archer, though, is uh, – I'm not so sure if Lance Archer is worried about winning the title as much as he's worrying about destroying Cody. So when it comes to winning the title, I'm going to go with Cody. So I think he can pull it out. And then uh, AEW world champion, John Moxley, taking on the leader of the Dark Order, the exalted one, Brody Lee. Yeah, I don't know. Which of these guys are you more scared of? Well, I'm more scared of Brody Lee only because he's got people behind him. John Moxley's mm-hmm. like one guy, and I get it, but man, the numbers may be too great for him on this one. Remember, you can see Tony every Wednesday night on AEW Dynamite at 8 p.m. Eastern on TNT. Check him out. Thank you so much for joining us, Tony. We appreciate your insight into the Atlanta Braves and journalism. Thank you. And hopefully we'll get back to playing baseball very, very soon. 
This 2020 special throwdown edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast is a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC. Opinions expressed on the show are strictly those of the participants. All rights reserved. Special thanks to Chody Shivani and All Elite Wrestling for giving up the time to talk with us today. And thanks to Seth Carter for putting it all together. Happily, on our budget, we don't have to talk to the Screen Actors Guild as part of that. Music used today comes to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0 and features selections by Kevin McLeod entitled Groundwork, Whiskey on the Mississippi, and Amazing Plan. His works are featured at filmmusic.io and via his own website at incompetech.com. Thanks for listening, and may the things that you wrestle with today be easier to grapple with than those Tony sees every single week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.